if you like the work that we produce on this show, support the show and get access to extra content and more at patreon.com backslash Fred Opie show. From our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie Show, where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. As part of our African Americans in Lacrosse series, we're revisiting an interview with Yorktown native Dr. Usman Power Green. He is an associate professor of history at Clark University. He earned his undergraduate degree at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where he played lacrosse and won a national championship. He talks about growing up in a hotbed of lacrosse and his untraditional route to UNC Chapel Hill. That's today on the Fred Opie Show. I've known this guy all the way back to the time when I was coaching, uh, still playing and coaching at the West Point lacrosse camp. That's back when Coach Jack Emmer was still in place. And uh, Usman Green, our, our uh, guest, uh, was a camper. And Usman, you were eighth grader back then. I was in eighth grade. Uh, it was uh, it was the place to be. If you were a Yorktown player, you know, seventh eighth grade, you know, pretty much everyone went there. So uh, Usman, you come from a town with a, I mean, crazy rich lacrosse tradition. That's just the best way to put it. Keeping it real. And I wanted to ask you some basic information for people who don't know. Yorktown lore. Um, and my question is, when you were growing up, I guess this you know, basically 70s and 80s is your lacrosse time there, who had been the bricks and mortar of Yorktown's glorious lacrosse tradition? Who, who would you look to back then? Yeah, well, I mean, anyone who knows anything about Yorktown lacrosse understands uh, Charlie Murphy's role as the, the, the rock uh, so to speak. I mean, his home was opened up to kids in the neighborhood. I actually lived in that neighborhood. Um, where you go over there, there were goals in the backyard, and, and, and uh, we'd have a catch, we'd shoot around, socialize. Um, inside his house, he'd have all the state championship trophies that were won for Yorktown from the early 80s, um, and also videotapes that we watch over and over again of those early games, the early 80s, uh, you know, imagining ourselves one day being a part of that, that state championship tradition. So, uh, yeah, Charlie Murphy, Mr. Murph, as he was known, um, was, was it. And tell me about that neighborhood. What was it? Did that neighborhood have, was it a particular section of town? For example, I grew up in Croton, uh, yep. Croton on Hudson, which bordered a Yorktown. A lot of people thought I was a Yorktown player because I spent so much time there in Yorktown. Yep. Uh, you may or may not know, but I played for the Westchester Wings hockey team, and our goalie was a guy named Marty Griff from Yorktown. And Marty didn't live that far from Mr. Murph's either. So I spent so much time at Mr. Murph's that people begin to think I was a Yorktown guy. Did that particular community have a name? And Croton, Croton is divided into two communities. There's Croton and then there's Croton Harmon. How is Yorktown divided and how would one describe the neighborhood that you grew up in? Well, actually, that's when he said that. I mean, I don't believe our neighborhood has any, any particular name. Um, I, I know that uh, Yorktown has also in that town Lakeland High School, uh, which which intersects with parts of Yorktown and Shrub Oak. Um, so I don't think it has a particular name, but without a name, the, the reputation of that neighborhood speaks for itself. I mean, you have when you on the walk, just to give people an example of, of the kind of lacrosse tradition in this neighborhood, 
you know, on my way to Mr. Murph's house, I would pass the house of players who, who played in All-Americans at Hopkins. I would walk by the house of All-Americans at uh, Loyola College. I'd walk by the house of All-Americans at Maryland, at Syracuse, just on my way to Mr. Murph's house. Um, so these are kids who would go on to be legends. Um, if you extend a little bit further, if I look pretty close there, you got you know All-Americans from Towson and, and many, many other places in the same kind of area all walking distance from Mr. Merck's house in different directions. So, um, yeah, truly this was a neighborhood where lacrosse players uh, you know, really, really came from and the culture of lacrosse was huge in the 80s. So now you're talking, it's Mr. Murph and his house. Yep. Tell, tell us about him. He's, a, he's an unmarried guy, a single guy, or was he married at one time? Yeah, um, as far as I know, you know, in terms of Murph legends, he was, he was never married. Um, but, but Mr. Murph started lacrosse at Princeton, actually, I believe, in the late 20s or early 30s. Um, so his, he was a part of starting lacrosse in Yorktown, um, but also starting lacrosse at Princeton. Um, but uh, he lived, he ended up moving out of New York City and into what I thought was his uh, summer house his family had owned in Yorktown. Um, he ended up moving there and making that his residence. And then by the 60s, when Jim Turnbull arrived at Yorktown High School, um, they began uh, creating the program, which of course will go on in, in, the, in the late 60s and 70s to to pretty much, uh, I don't use the word dominate, but won a lot of section titles, I should say, mm. in the area. Um, so, so yeah, the neighbor, the physical property was, was actually quite large. There's the backyard. You probably get two full fields, uh, maybe one full field. I mean, two is exaggerating. Um, but there were goals and, and other sorts of things. A barn that we'd always work on our stick work. And Mr. Murph would have sticks inside the house if you didn't have one. You'd borrow a stick from him. Um, and, and go out there and other uh, balls and things. So, so that was the kind of physical property and what you'd see kind of standing from his backyard. Then um, he was, yeah, he was like the godfather of the cross. I mean, I remember very well you know, first seeing, you know, media, you know, Tim Nelson, Tom Nelson, you know, guys from your era, you know, particularly Tim, you, know, you see them, you know, it's Tim Nelson coming by the house. Or, and I, you know, Bill Ralph, you know, a little later, you know, I was maybe seventh grade or so when he was in Maryland, you know, it was all American at Maryland. And, you know, Mr. Merce's place, you, you stop by, you know, when you're home from college. So um, the same with college coaches. You know, I'd see Coach Army, Coach of Syracuse walking out of his house, you know, on their way. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, stuff like that now, of course, in CA, you probably have a problem with it, but, uh, but back in those days, <laughs> there wasn't much concern about sports across. And um, was there, is it a, was it a hangout for middle and high school kids, or would you see young kids getting their game on as well? Oh, yeah. No, you'd see, you'd see all, you know, middle school, probably middle school. I mean, I went over there. First, when I was maybe fifth grade, sixth grade, yeah, maybe, maybe fifth grade, fourth, fifth grade. So it was probably the youngest kids who were over there. It, it's so, it, it, to me. It, I remember again. I'm an outsider, but I'm hanging out there, and it felt. I, I've never been there, but it's the closest thing I could imagine to lacrosse heaven. <laughs> it was yeah. just. It was. Just hanging out with guys who were crazy passionate about the game. I was crazy passionate about the game like that. And so and that was the feeling to me. And there were bubble gum at, at, at any flavor you wanted that he would have. He, he would always make you feel welcome. And you think about it. Here I am, like you, an African-American. There's no other African-Americans. Well, there were very few back then yep. Uh, yep. that played there. But I never felt, matter of fact, I felt more at home in Yorktown at Mr. Murph's house, and I probably did in my own hometown because yep. 
I just felt a kindred spirit, uh, you know, with those players. And it's, it's, it's very interesting to hear that it sounds like you and your generation felt the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, particularly, you know, my brother, just to give you an example, you know, was never a lacrosse player. You know, but as a kid, um, you know, he either borrowed or Mr. Murphy gave him a stick to borrow. I mean, that's where he got his first stick from. You know, he's three years older than me, so he came home with this, like, yellow lacrosse stick. It's like, I didn't know what it was. I was excited by it. But um, you know, Mr. Murphy would always ask about my brother, you know, uh, you know, as my brother got older and, you know, as I got more serious lacrosse, he'd ask about me. I mean, he's that type of person uh, who he knew the kids in the neighborhood. He was always trying to encourage kids to play the game. And, um, yeah, and in terms of the racial dynamic, you know, he was, he was the guy you go to and, and, and talk to about things. I mean, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. And so, so I agree with you. It was, it was a place where um, you, you play respects to Mr. Murph, you do the right thing, and, and, and he would definitely be there to support you. And, and I think uh, every kid needs the older ancestor, older uncle or grandfather around that you can ask questions to, that you can't ask your own dad or your own mom. You're at that age where you're trying to develop your own identity, but here, here's this guy who's older, he's wise, and you basically feel comfortable to ask or say anything you want to ask or say. He was critical. He was old school. <laughs> but, but, but you knew it came from a place uh, of, of support, support for you um, and a recognition that it, it really is much bigger than just lacrosse. I mean, it's about being a good person. And, and he would get up, he heard that you did something or got in trouble or, you know, weren't doing the right thing. He would absolutely uh, let you know what his thoughts were about that. And God forbid you got banned from our house for doing something responsible. But that was like the death penalty, you know. So, um, so yeah, this, you know, he was a type of community guy like that. And, a very, I think, unusual thing with Cross, perhaps some of the people listening have other stories in their town. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned Tim Nelson. Was he the big dog in town? Was Who were the most celebrated Yorktown alum back then for you? Probably Tim Nelson. You know, again, uh, others could correct me, but it, for me, you know, I, I, I entered Yorktown High School on uh, the, the year 87-88. So all those early... Um, 80s uh, uh, championships and, and when they were doing well, that was when I was a kid, you know, fourth grade, or still was really young. Um, and so Tim's success, and also Tom. I mean, of course, Tom's only you know, a few years younger than, than him, and they were at the circuit at the same time. So, so Tim and Tom Nelson, absolutely, as I mentioned, uh, Bill Ralph um, for, that, for, that, for that era, uh, Lenny Coy, who also went to, you know, black lacrosse player, Mitty played, it was a huge, you know, person I looked up to, played at Maryland. Um, so those are, those are some of the Eddie Herger, uh, you know, again, the, the younger brother of, of another Herger. Um, but these are some of the people who, who, when I was a kid, just who I knew and who spoke to me and who we looked up to. So. For related content on negotiating the world of school and sports, visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes.
write me to speak, teach, coach, and consult at fdopie at gmail.com. That's fdopie at gmail.com. After high school, you didn't go directly to the University of North Carolina. Unpack the story of how you ended up at Chapel Hill and on the first midfield with Hall of Famer Ryan Wade. The opportunities that were there for me really weren't that great in lacrosse, so I decided to go to Guilford College. You know, I had some Yorktown guys go there and who I, who I had heard of, and, and it was a school that it was the first school I visited, and I just loved it. It was a small school, 2,000 students. And uh, it just felt right. So I, I kind of surprised everybody and didn't go to some of the other places and chose to, to go to Guilford College, which is a, a great experience. It was almost like, I always think back, it was almost like a PG year for me. You know, I, I, I went there, I, I kind of figured out my academics. My grades were not strong out of high school at all. Um, and also kind of found myself, and, and it gave me the confidence to, to, to transfer to Carolina after my um, after my freshman year, and you know, I did it like many other people. I'm sure you know. Went to Mr. Murph's house. I'm not kidding. And I, I said, "Look, Mr. Murph, I, I'm thinking about transferring, and I wanted to know his opinion. I was nervous." And, and Mr. Murph looked at me and said, "Usman, you can play anywhere in the country." Wow. I thought to myself, you know what? If <laughs> Mr. Murph says that, that I can play anywhere, then um, gave me the confidence to do it by by saying it like that, and. So I called Coach Turnbull up, and Coach Turnbull said, who do you want me to call? And so that's how it pretty much happened. He called Carolina, told my interest, and um, you know, I thought about going to, Mar- to Maryland, to Carolina, to Delaware. Scott Marr, the coach of, uh, of Albany, was, was assistant coach at Delaware at the time, so I was really interested in going to Delaware, um, and of course Loyola as well. But I ultimately chose uh, Carolina, and, and it was a great choice. We went to this transfer mid-year, uh, arrived there in January, uh, didn't know that I was going to be on one of the better Carolina teams. We went uh, almost undefeated. We got upset by Virginia, and then we lost Syracuse in the national championship. Um, wow. I was fortunate to be a starter on that team. So it, that, that choice made sense, and it was a great choice, and I just happened to walk into a door of a team that was a sensational team. And now, right, so this was after your first year at Guilford? Or your... Yeah, after my first year. So I went back for the fall. And decided to transfer around October, and I, I, I arrived on campus at, at UNC uh, in January. So yeah, who recruited you in high school? Did you get recruited? Yeah, I got recruited um, earlier on. You know, places like Towson was one of the places I remember. Soft recruiting though. Okay. So I, I, I actually I didn't make the Empire team, which you know, as you know, you know, that's the path to to you know, for us back then that was the path to can, can you explain explain um, to people what the Empire State team is because some folks from New York will go, huh? Wow. Yeah, so the Empire State games are like the Olympics for New York State. Uh, in the eighties, even in basketball other sports, the Empire State Games was, was the place where everyone went and played. You know, the days of AAU now, I don't even know if they even have it anymore, but um, but back then, you know, the stars like Kenny Anderson, I don't know if people know that name, but he was a dominant New York player to go on and, and play at Georgia Tech, but ever he played in Empire State games. For lacrosse, that was it. I mean, you made the Empire team, 
you were almost guaranteed a scholarship. If not, if you started, that'd be a full ride. If you made it, you know, you were going somewhere. Um, didn't make the team, was devastated by that. Um, and so, yeah, that really affected the recruiting of me. Um, but also the uncertainty around what I wanted to do. I mean, it's hard for Coach Turnbull to advocate for a guy who, who's telling coaches he's not sure if he wants to play Division III basketball or, or lacrosse. So um, it's a lot of it goes on me, too. And I really uh, wasn't clear about what I wanted because I didn't know what I wanted. Um, so, but all things worked out well in the end. And you recruited me. I remember going to Gettysburg and visiting you. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's a basketball is... game and watching me play. And... Wow, this is, wow, I totally forgot about that. For those who don't know, <laughs> yeah. I coached uh, at, at Gettysburg College. I used that opportunity to get my master's degree paid for at nearby Shippens University. So I was there from 89 to 92 and worked as a defensive coordinator. My other job on campus was I was a dean of inter, inter, intercultural advancement. So I had... Uh, the obligation of trying to diversify the school demographically. So to get Usman as a lacrosse player, an African-American, would have been just a coup. So I, I totally did forget that uh, that was the case there. So that, that's very interesting. So Carolina didn't recruit you at all. I'm wondering, here it is, you're basically a walk-on at Carolina. How did... Actually, you know, actually, Go ahead. it turned out, um, you know, Coach Thermal called called uh, Dave Carman, who was the coach of Carolina at the time, um, and told him of my interest. And so Coach, Carolina, coach Carman actually called me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he called my, uh, my, my coach at Guilford. And, you know, at the time, I actually almost broke the freshman scoring record. I think I was four points away from it. And, you know, my freshman year at Guilford, you know, kind of the freshman scoring record, right? So I had a, I had a really good, good career, you know, kind of freshman year at, at Guilford. And so... Uh, coach Carmen called my coach at Guilford, and, and the coach told him that he thought I was a sensational player. And you know, Coach Turnbull had previously called him, so with, with two coaches calling Coach Carmen, he called me straight up. I'll never forget. I was cooking rice in my my, my apartment <laughs> on campus, and uh, I get a phone call, and it's you know, hi, it's Dave Carmen from UNC. You know, and I, you know, like my jaw dropped. <laughs> and as it turned out, I sat and talked and burned the rice. <laughs> so my, I was like talking to him. He told me straight up that he had only a little bit of money for me. He was a bit faster, and there were some guys who didn't do the, do the right thing, and so he had some money available for me. So um, he gave me room and board and books and and uh, basically laid it out. He said, look, if, you, if you're as good as they say you are, you know, maybe we'll, you'll make the team and be able to contribute. Otherwise, we'll redshirt you and, and bring you back uh, the next year. Um, and so, you know, Carolina was recruited athletes, and you know, with me being a football player and basketball player, that's stuff that, that Coach Corman, of course, liked. And so he gave me a shot, and of course, uh, yeah, I wasn't uh, planning on registering. So I spent that whole winter break, you know, training with Roy, and and learned how to be a Division One player and, and lifted and going hard. And I was very fortunate to, to be in a situation where um, they graduated nearly all their sensational midfielders in Carolina. That '92 team was incredible at the midfield, and so uh, there was a lot of openings, and so I was able to compete and and end up within that you know first and second midfield. So this is interesting. So you think. You didn't pursue it or go hard after this your, your senior year because you weren't sure about how you were as a player after making the Empire State team? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, no, I didn't make the Empire State team. But is that what made you question if you had the ability and you went back to talk to Mr. Murph? Did that, did it, that have a big effect on your confidence as a player not making that team? Is my a- question. Absolutely. Um, you know, there were some guys on that team who I thought I was better than straight up. I had better high school, you know, I had better numbers than them. Um, I felt like I played better in tryouts. And, yeah, you know, as 
people who, who've been in athletics or anything competitive, you know how it is. I mean, you can either go one or two directions. Uh, you can either quit or you can try to get better. You know, in my case, because I, I really did, you know, love basketball and, um, and I really wasn't sure if I wanted to be, it's another dynamic. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I really was, was wanted to be uh, just an athlete on campus, mm-hmm. um, particularly on a lacrosse team. Are you thinking about you're going to be on a team where you're one, one of two African-American players? And, you know, the, I didn't know if the dynamic was one that, that I felt comfortable with. That. So I ended up choosing a school which I felt most comfortable going to. Um, and, and those who know much about Guilford College, um, it kind of speaks for itself. It's a Quaker school uh, and um, yeah, has a reputation of being very open-minded place so so i was really happy at guilford i'm very glad i went just what i needed um and that kind of gave me the confidence as a player but also academically because i wasn't a, a great student of you know c's and b's um it gave me that that also so hmm. i mean it, it's exactly what i needed to do that path was the, the absolute correct path and and the carolina players embraced you from day one or how was that you know i'll tell you a funny story um i went on my recruiting trip to loyola when I was on my recruiting trip to Loyola, this is before, right before I was on the Carolina, I was at an apartment where, uh, you know, we went and, and checked out some other stuff. Um, and there were four Carolina guys in there, you know, wearing their jacket, hanging out. <laughs> and so I met, you know, some of the, the captains, some of the really, you know, great players at Carolina at that trip. Um, there was like six of us in this apartment talking and had a chance to meet them. And they were really quiet guys, great guys. And, in my head, they had that kind of quiet confidence that I, you know, I, I learned to, to look up to. So that was when I uh, actually first met them. And, and to tell you the truth, I actually never ended up going on a, a recruiting trip to Carolina. Hmm. Um, I went to Maryland. I went to Loyola. Um, but I ended up not going to Delaware on a trip. Uh, and Delaware had, had tuition for me. They had money for me. And, uh, and I never went to Carolina, but I, I chose Carolina, and I did what any young person on the age of, of 18 should do. I listened to my father, and my father said, you know, you should go to Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's definitely the right decision for me. But that interaction with those players at Loyola gave you a sense that I, I could get along with these guys? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Jason Foley, who passed away subsequently after that, but uh, Jason was there, Matt Wall was there, you know, two of my best friends, so... Um, you know, that decision was really uh, one that was rooted in that relationship. And I think Bill DeWall was the assistant coach, I believe, that year, or he had just left to go to Hopkins. But no, I meant, I, I, meant, I meant the interaction with the Carolina guys while you are at Loyola. This seems to yeah, give was, you a sense of, <laughs> of, of you felt like oh, I could get along with these Carolina players. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Um, but, again, it was a leap of faith, uh, you know, and at, again, you do those sorts of things, right? I mean, you have a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a leap of faith, and... It was that sense. It was an excellent academic school, um, and um, you know the cross reputation was, was fantastic. And, and it, yeah, so for me, I, I, I figured I'd be able to, to work out whatever else didn't work. You know, didn't didn't fit. But If you have had success in something, do you know why? Or is it an accident? Can you repeat it? Well, I had to start thinking about that in my life. If I've had some success, to what do I attribute that success? I concluded that my success came down to what I call my super seven. The seven principles have been the formula 
for success that I developed to thrive on and off the field. If you apply these principles, you'll see that they are universal and you can use them in all areas of your life. The book will be available in March. Pre-order a copy of the Super 7 as a paperback book for $9.99 and receive three CD recordings of my live events worth $15. That's a $25 offer for $9.99. Go to our online store at fredopiespeaks.com and order it now. Played with Hall of Famers Dom Finn from Yorktown, Roy Colsey from Yorktown, uh, and Ryan Wade at, at Carolina. Never mind a number of uh, All Americans, but how has your athletic experience, your lacrosse experience, your playing at the college level, at the highest uh, college level in the great program, how has that shaped you as an academic? Yeah, it, it, it shaped me because what, what, this is the reason why I'm such a big advocate for sport. I mean, Sports teach, teaches you about discipline. Um, it teaches you about uh, leap of faith, you know, going into it, going hard, uh, trying, trying your all, and, and recognize that you know, you're not always going to come on top. There are very few uh, experiences where you can fail and the consequences are, are you know, not you're going to die or you lose a job or your family can't eat or something like that. Uh, you know, sports is great. It allows you to, to not succeed and to learn how to, how to not succeed and, and to fight on. And when you are a scholar and a writer like you and I are, you're getting rejections all the time. Um, you, you, you have people tell you that they're not interested in your work. Your, your work is criticized all the time. And so I believe that you gave us a you know, kind of internal courage um, from from my experience uh, playing lacrosse and being a, a college athlete and being around Marion Jones and you know, she was at Carolina, I was there. Mia oh, Hamm was at Carolina. She was at Carolina. Marion Jones was there at Carolina the same time as you. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mia Hamm, Mia Hamm was there. Um, you know, Vince Carter. I mean, you know, wow. there was a, 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 a community of, of, of athletes. When you look around, and other guys, I mean, pro guys and pro football who go on and have careers. Who I knew, um, Jeffrey Saturday, for example, who's a, a, you know played for the Cultural as He was at Carolina when I was there. You know, I knew him, and so there was a, a we were very good at sports in the mid '90s at Carolina, and uh, it rubbed off. You know, you saw you wanted to be great. Uh, you knew these people in many cases were good students too in a lot of cases, and so all of that contributed to my, to me you know moving on and you know doing the PhD and uh, and going on to become a professor and a writer and, and an intellectual. So. You know, coming of age and, and learning how to build community people and, um, and and learning the camaraderie that comes with sports. Um, yeah, I think that it's, uh, it's an incredible foundation for, for all of us. So, This show is airing during Black History Month, so I thought it appropriate to share that Dr. Power Green is the author of Against Wind and Tide, the African-American Struggle Against the Colonization Movement, published by NYU Press in 2014. The book discusses the African-American struggle for equal rights in the North and Midwest in the face of the American Colonization Society's attempt to persuade black Americans to leave the United States for Liberia. Check the show notes for a link on how to purchase the book. 
That's it for this edition of the Fred Opie Show. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show archive at fredopiespeaks.com, as well as our books and other content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our show notes where you'll find a way to subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You'll find links to books discussed on the show, links to our YouTube channel where you can watch the show. If you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to fredopi.com, which is my website. You can see information on the books I've published. There are two blogs that I host there, both a food and an athlete's blog, and there's both a food and an athlete's podcast. The whole archive to both those two podcasts are there. At the bottom of the podcast page, I have links to interviews that I have listened to on other people's podcasts that I would recommend to you. 